Events of the past 12 months have once again highlighted that Australia still has a long way to go when it comes to our relationship with Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders. 20 years on from the Reconciliation March of 2000, the path to reconciliation is still one that as a nation, we have a long way to travel. In that spirit of reconciliation, I would like to offer my respects to the traditional owners of the land on which we meet, both past, present and emerging, and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders. So hello everyone and welcome to this edition of the UX Australia podcast. I'm joined today by Jen Blatz, who comes to us in Dallas, Texas. Jen, hello. Hello everyone. Thank you for joining us today. It is afternoon, late late afternoon, early evening for you. How are things in Dallas today? Things are very hot in Dallas today. It's supposed to be over 100 degrees Fahrenheit. Sorry, I can't translate that into Celsius, but uh, 36. Ah, 36. So thank you for that. So really steamy. We are right in the middle of our summer. So. And I saw that it's due to get hotter over the next few days, if I'm not mistaken. You've got a bit of a, a heat wave traveling west to east. That sounds probably pretty accurate. Uh, usually Texas is known to have 20 days of the year that are over 100 degrees. And we just started last week. So I am buckled in for a steamy hot summer. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. We've seen um, recently, obviously, the uh, sort of really extreme heat hitting the Pacific Northwest. Um, I don't think you're expected to get anything like that in Texas, hopefully not. Well, it it's always hot here in summer. The mm. with the northwest getting that kind of heat is pretty extreme. They're not used to those kind of temperatures. So it is unreal for them to get something over 80 or 90 degrees consecutively for multiple days. So I feel for them because many people there don't even have air con. That's just no, they're not they're not they don't need it. it. Yeah. yeah. So was, at least here, everybody, it's it's a requirement. You must have air conditioning or you won't fry. <laughs> I was uh, introduced to a new term as a result of that heat wave, which is the notion of a heat dome um, and, oh. and this sort of uh, atmospheric effect uh, that traps heat within an area and basically reflects it um, and recycles it. And you get this sort of superheated air, which is driving those temperature um, rises in those areas which is why it went sort of hot hotter hottest and then we saw the town of Lytton um, literally catch fire as a result which was sort of terrible to see and I'm sure it was even worse to live through but that's um, climate change and uh, extreme weather events is not what we're here to talk about you are <laughs> um, uh, generous enough to be joining us at uh, UX Australia in August this year you're going to be talking about um, spontaneous talk frameworks, which is not a phrase that I'm familiar with. Can you tell me more about it? What is it? How do I use it? Why would I use it? Go. Absolutely. I was kind of inspired. I was watching this professor on a YouTube video and he was talking about spontaneous talks framework. And what it is, is a way to organize your thoughts quickly using a mental framework so that you can 
give an eloquent answer. So say somebody asks you a question and instead of like freaking out and just rambling on and on and spitting out a bunch of words, it's ways to organize your thoughts so that you are hitting certain key points to deliver a cohesive answer. So let me give an example. Please. Say somebody asks you a question and you come up with, you think about this framework, what, so what, now what? So okay. what the framework is, uh, is you think about how you're going to answer that question by answering those three questions. What is it? So what? Which is why is it important to you? And now what? What are you going to do next? And if you answer those three questions, you've kind of given them the gold of what they really want to, what we're looking for. So I, when I heard this professor speaking about this topic, I was like, this is a great way for us UX pros to present our design work, whether that be a prototype that we've just mocked up or some findings from a usability test or some other research method. It's a way to relate the answer to the audience by answering some different questions within these frameworks. And depending on the scenario, some frameworks work better than others. Some are good okay. for answering things. Some are good for persuading you to understand my viewpoint. So that's how I saw, like I said, I saw this talk and I was like, yes, I could totally see how this could be applied to presenting mm -hmm. our UX designs and our research. Because we see any number of examples, especially, and I'm, I'm thinking in particular around um, research reports, um, testing reports or evaluative sort of research reports um, that are full of what, and, and that's it. Um, and they don't give a sense of those other two things. So as an example, just picking that framework in particular, there is no, so what? Why should I care about this thing? Um, why is it important? And certainly not, now what? Um, and they're the reports that subsequently you'll find the next time somebody goes to do research with that company and they'll say, oh, we had, we had some people in before and they gave this report, but we haven't really done anything with it. Um, yes. And it sounds like that's sort of a, a key part of why is that they've only answered part of the question. Yeah, that's very true. I've been in a lot of companies where it's like we have did that research before, but it didn't come with recommendations and it didn't really show the value of what the findings were from that research and what are the next steps, which are absolutely critical. Just sharing results from research is only one step. That's nice. And so what? And now what? Now what are we going to do about it? So it kind of moves it beyond of just a simple, let me just answer your question, to show the person who asked the question the value and to show that we got a plan and here's what we're going to do next. It's funny, I'm, I'm sitting here thinking about um, a, an interview I saw yesterday with a, a politician um, who clearly didn't have an answer to the question that he was asked um, and ended up just with a two-minute word salad, um, which 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 ended when I think he felt that everyone had given up and and would no longer follow up on the question, um, and I'm I'm I I wonder sort of thinking about it whether or not he didn't have an answer or he just didn't have an answer that he wanted to give, and so he sort of headed off on a, a different path. But it really was just this um, uh, word salad, really. 
We see that a lot. I see that a lot with Boris Johnson. I'm not sure if that's who yes. you're referencing. Yes, it, it isn't actually. It's I, I was thinking of an, an Australian politician, but there are actually a few uh, who are like that. But yes, Boris Johnson does it. Yeah, he does it a lot. And I, th- I think they think perhaps they think that they're actually giving an answer to the question. Like they don't really know that what they're saying isn't providing value. And it kind of comes with how us as UX pros think about that empathy and think about like, what am I doing to make your life better, right? So much of our design is about what are we doing to solve the problem, not just build a feature. And so we think that way naturally. We think about, I need to provide an information for you or a feature for you or a product for you that's going to provide value to your life. So we think that way naturally, but we take it for granted that not everybody does. And so we notice it when somebody's trying to BS their way out of an answer, or they really just don't know an answer. And just, I'm sure you've heard some of these, these like buzzwords where they just throw a bunch of buzzwords out, like synergy and wheelhouse. And, and you're like, what are you actually saying? You're just saying words <laughs> right now. You're not, there's not a thought behind that. There's not a point behind that. You're just saying words. Yeah. Completely empty, but a lot of times those kind of conversations happen. I've seen it, in, especially in a corporate setting where yeah. I'm just like, I, I actually have no idea what you just said. They were mm. so empty. But if you think words. about the- I know those words. But- right. But what do, what do they mean? What are you trying to say? What, what value am I supposed to extra- extract from mm. what you just said? <laughs> I, I can imagine that having, having a framework and, and you talk about them sort of multiple. So- sort of what so what now what is is an example of one i i imagine that these are things that you actually need to practice um I would so say that you so. can use them in the moment quickly as a way to sort of quickly structure your thoughts um rather than you know sort of being in that position where you're stopping and, and thinking for a minute or two before you start answering a question like obviously that's that's not what they're there for I would agree. I that's something I do talk about. Like you know, as with many things that we want to get better at, it takes some practice. We need to practice a bit. And so I've been getting better at like, let me write this down, in, using one of these frameworks, these different scenarios. As I was going through this talk, I was like, okay, how how would I have presented this design using this framework, and what would I have said? And it kind of gets you uh, thinking more critically and putting yourself in the audience's shoes so that you are making sure that you're delivering the value that they're looking for versus just that word salad, like you mentioned, Steve. Like, for example, uh, you may have heard of the STAR framework, which is situation, task, action, and result. I know here in the United States, that's a very common framework that they encourage people to use in a job interview. Tell us what your situation was. What were you trying to do? What action did you take on that? And what was the result of that action? So a lot of people are are instructed to think about when you have an when you're going to give an answer. Okay, here's my answer, and but walk it through those steps to show the situation you were in, the task that you did, what action did you take, and what was the result. American business loves to hear the results. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think I think most people do. It's. Um, Structuring a, a, a question, though, um, you also need, a, you know, uh, when you're giving a talk, you know how long you've got. 
when you're giving an answer to a question, you're less clear on how much time you've got. So I, I imagine that there's a need to think about how much time am I giving to each part of that framework? You know, there are four parts to that sort of answer. Is that 15 seconds each? Is it 20 seconds each? Can I hold this person's attention for four minutes so that I can, you know, I, I, I imagine that that's a, a sort of a, a critical skill to wrap your head around as well. Sure. I think that also kind of depends on the situation. Sure. Like if you need to give some more details to mm. explain why something happened, that might take a little bit more time. Yeah. But you could give like a one of the frameworks I talk about is a, where you give a quick answer mm -hmm. and then you give in some more details after that. Yeah, so okay. you like quickly answer it and then, okay, let me get into the meat and potatoes of what that answer means. Yeah. I remember seeing a talk um, at uh, one of the World Design Congress conferences. Um, I can't remember which one it was, but it's a, it's a few years ago. And they had uh, invited um, a professor of something, something design um, to give a talk. Um, and it was a 30-minute slot. And he spent the first hour, the first hour, he spent the <laughs> first hour sort of outlining you know, the, the four different types of this thing um, and what each of those things were. And then, um, you know, in design, we focus more on the fourth thing. So now I'm going to talk about the fourth thing. And then he started to get into his actual talk. Um, and it was this, you know, and the, the organisers are trying to get his attention and say, look, you've, you've got to stop. <laughs> um, and I, I, I overheard an argument after the talk because they were quite angry that he'd gone for so long. He ended up talking for a good 90 minutes. Um, but his, his thing was no one would have understood what I was saying if I had started at the end. Like if I had started just and assumed that everyone understood the framework, then no one would have understood what I was what I was talking about. So I had to give an hour's background, um, and it was super interesting in terms of where's your audience at, <laughs> right? Which is like I I just found I mean you know it, it's the World Design Congress and the idea that the audience was just completely naive about that topic, um, and we're sitting in the audience without any sense of background and all the rest of it was um, arrogance, one word for it. Um, sure. you know, Ill-informed Ill is another, but it was super interesting that that part of it, like that part of structuring the answer, um, hadn't, hadn't really occurred to him at all. Right. That is interesting. You kind of wonder what, did he know he had a half hour? I would assume so, but who knows, right? Even yeah. still, think about your right, think about your audience. And there, a lot of... Um, here in the U.S., we our research reports or our, our findings, we start with what we call an executive summary. Mm -hmm. And what that is, is like, bang, here's a summary. If you have two minutes, here's the big things, then we're going to get into the details. Now, I don't know if his topic could have, would, would lend itself to be it brief like that, but it would have. Well, yeah. yeah. So <laughs> it sounds to me, yeah, Steve, I think you're right. It sounds a little bit of the, uh, the arrogance kicking in. He was on stage. He was going to let everybody know how smart he was. And he was going to that way. Yeah. I take mean, advantage it, of that time. You, you could have sat there or, or stood there and said, but there are four types of this thing. They're this, this, this. 
I'm not going to bother talking about those three. You can go online or, you know, like there's a paper or a book or, you know, whatever. I'm going to focus on this one and two minutes into the talk being into the actual topic, right? Like, yeah. and, and simply identified that background and told people to go on and look for it. Um, and he, he just didn't, which was... Um, interesting. Uh, that is interesting. Yeah. And some speakers, uh, I know that there are times that I recycle a talk sure. and it might be a half hour. It might be 45 minutes. It might be a two hour workshop. So you have to, to know the wherewithal of what to edit out to meet those times, time constraints. Yeah. You mentioned that idea of uh, an executive summary and giving that sort of, you know, here's the sort of short summary of it. We see that a lot in journalism, um, in newspaper articles, where you sort of get um, like a, a sense of a content hierarchy, if you like, to use yes. a term that people will be familiar with, but that idea of headline, summary paragraph, um in um, Australia, at least, we see uh, some of our news outlets will then go, like, here are three key bullet points mm -hmm. that's, that summarise everything that you're about to see. So, you know, there was this and then there was this and, right. and, 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 and here's what happened. You know, the police were called. Um, and then there's the thousand-word news article. Right. Um, but if you don't have so time for that, and you want a yes. sense of, well, is this actually something that I wish to invest that amount of time in? Here's, here's that Have something. you seen my talk, Steve? Because this is no. so funny. I go into that detail with one of my spontaneous talk frameworks. I actually I studied journalism in, in college. So I'm, I'm very familiar with Telling you how to suck eggs, which is great. <laughs> yes. Yes. The inverted pyramid is what you're talking okay. about. That most yep. important information at the top. And then you go into fi finer, less important details at the bottom. And there's a historic reason for that. And mm. that is because newspapers have a finite amount of space, yeah. right? Yep. It's not digital, finite amount of space. I used to work at a newspaper, so I know this very well. An actual and print newspaper. I did. That was my first job was a daily. Awesome. I was a designer at a daily newspaper in Florida. Fantastic. And okay. what it is, you write a story, but they can... It, this, it's a measured in inches. It can only be so long. And we might have to cut the bottom five inches because we just don't have the space in the newspaper today. So that's why you put it in the lead. That's the yep. first paragraph. The lead is the most important piece of information. And then the ability to cut from the bottom where space is, is allotted. And quite literally so, cut. Yeah. Literally cut. And so it was really funny when I was at the newspaper, I was a designer. I didn't, I didn't have any control over how big the paper was because the ads came in. Ads are never going to get bumped for editorial space. So I would have the reporters trying to negotiate for with me like, oh, can you cut from that other story or can you remove a photo? Oh, okay. And there was this all this negotiation trying to get more of their story. And I'm like, nobody's going to read your story. It's, a, it's got a shelf life of a day. <laughs> this is gone. This is this is in the chicken coop tomorrow. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, so um, we will uh, hear from you at uh, UX Australia, and it's the first time you've presented for us. It is. is I'm very is, excited. I'm, I'm. I know everybody's sad that it's. I just heard last night that it got bumped to virtual. So that's unfortunate, but I appreciate that you're trying to keep everybody safe. And I, I know we have, we don't have the constraints here in the United States that I wish that we did have. 
so I, uh, I'm, mm. I'm really thankful that I'm communicating with and working with others that do appreciate human life enough to know to keep it safe. And yeah. so it's kind of nice that it does open it up to everybody around the world. I know it was a hybrid format that you could attend virtually or in person. And mm. there's a lot of value. I do miss attending conferences in person. You meet some of the, the best people, the coolest people, and you make friendships forever. But in this case, you can, you can broaden your, yeah. your horizon of people coming and attending from all over the world. I mean, I, I am loving the fact that people are, are able to do what you're going to be doing, presenting uh, at an Australian conference without having to leave home. Um, you know, it becomes uh, a lot less of a, um, uh, a, a, an effort um, you know, like a, an undertaking to travel to Australia and, and you know, it, it becomes a, a week-long thing uh, rather than an hour out of your day sort of thing, um, which is really, True. really great. So there's, there's that plus side, but we really, we really do miss the interaction um, of having people in the space um, and being able to share in something together and, you know, share lunch and share a, a coffee and share a drink afterwards and those sorts of things. Um but this year it's going to be a virtual one and we'll get back together next year. Absolutely. Uh, I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, it's, it's true. I don't know that I would have had the opportunity to speak at UX Australia if you didn't have this to offer the hybrid option. So okay. I'm thankful that you were that flexible and offering that uh, option for us who you're right. It would be a bit of an ordeal for me to go to Australia a little more than an hour for sure. Yeah. But uh, I am, I'm with direct you, flight I'm, from I'm, Dallas. So is, yeah, I don't it's know if there is, is there 16, 16 hour flight from yeah. Dallas to Sydney. Uh, I've done it <laughs> several times. It's a, it's a haul, but it's um, yeah. Yeah. That's a lot of glasses of wine on a flight it like that. Is. It is. <laughs> it is. And then you can have a good sleep and yeah. wake up and still have, you know, six hours to fly it's an interesting That's one true. that one it really is interesting yeah, yeah i bet look, jen thank you so much for joining us um we look forward to hearing more about the uh talk topic and the frameworks at ux australia but for now thank you very much thank you very much have a good evening morning day <laughs> you too thank you mm -hmm.